Well, I got to start out with a question this morning. Are you ready? I don't think so. All you people online, I know you're in there in your pajamas. You're watching the service. Are you ready? Are you people in the back? Are you ready? How about you teens? You need to get ready. Okay? So today's uh, in the middle of a series called Ask It. Appreciate Mike. He did a tremendous job last week. So grateful that we got young, upcoming uh, preachers and teachers of the Word of God that are doing a phenomenal job. It makes me think, man, we got a bright future in store for us. But we're in the middle of this series, and if you fall asleep, which you probably won't, in the middle of this service, because today's going to be extra interesting, you're going to feel different today. Uh, if you do, here's what you can do. You can go to our, our website right here, lighthousecoc.com. I was live streaming our service last week, and I saw some of you guys, you teenagers right here in the front row. I was watching from the back, had a headshot watching you guys. But I was, I was, I was uh, streaming, watching our service from Managua, Nicaragua. Can you believe that? It's like I was here, but I was in another country. Appreciate the guys in the back there helping us get that done. Really great. Ronnie, everybody. Even Mike, who holds the camera, uh, gets those great angles. So, but I want to encourage you to go onto our website. There's also discussion questions. We're going to be starting today something that's going to be on the website. So I want to encourage you to go there, check it out. Always something great there on the website. Well, let me give you a little kind of review if this is your first time here. We're really glad you're here. Uh, but we're in the middle of this series called Ask It. And we're looking at, for six weeks, we're looking at this question. And it's the question that answers just about every question. You say, that's impossible. Well, trust me. So far, so good. Some of us would be convinced, but it takes care of, of everything. It clarifies every decision, every opportunity, and every invitation that we get. It gives clarity. What's the thing to do? And this is the question. So let's all say it together. What's the... With some enthusiasm, you graduates, what's the... What's the wise thing to do? And we've been looking at not what's the right thing, not what I can get away with, not the legal thing, because you can get around legal, you can get around, you know, the right thing. What's the wise thing to do? This, this question brings so much clarity. It's a higher calling. Well, we've been looking at it. We, we went three-dimensional. We went 3D on this question. And it comes from this verse. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, and this words the apostle says this, he says, Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And that's what we want to do uh, as followers of Jesus. And if you're here uh, as a guest, you're getting invited to do the wise thing. It's an invitation that God is giving you to do the wise thing. And it's much higher, much better. And so we did this three-dimensional of the question. We said this, in light of my past experiences, because my past is not like your past, your past is not like my past, your current circumstances, your, your situation is very different than it was, you know, a few months ago. Where are you at right now? And you have to include that in the question. And then your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? So we did a 360 on this question, and it really helped. And I gave you homework, and Mike, I think he gave you homework, and, and all we're asking you to do is ask it. Ask the question. In light of my past experiences, present circumstances, and future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? And, and we're not asking you to change anything, we're just asking you to ask it. And what happens when you ask it? You have to lean into, hey, am I looking out for my best interests or not? If I am looking out for my best interest, then I'm obviously going to do the wise thing and try to figure that out. So that's what we've been doing. And so today, I just got to say, it's going to get uncomfortable in here. I'm not going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be uncomfortable. In fact, it's my job to make you uncomfortable. All right? That's, that's what I get paid to do. It's what God has asked me to do to make you uncomfortable. But guess what? It's good because... 
we're all in this to get better, aren't we? I mean, I don't want to stay the same. I want to get better. And we want to have a better marriage, a better future, better relationships, right? We want to get better. So it's going to get uncomfortable. So you ready to be uncomfortable? That's why I asked you in the beginning, are you ready? And that's why some of you didn't answer. Okay, because you knew you had a feeling. Some of you got text messages from our children's ministry. So isn't it true that when we're tempted to do something we shouldn't, we start having conversations with ourselves. And we talk ourselves into it. You know, we're tempted and we're thinking about it, you know, and I don't know if I should. And then we start telling ourselves and we say things like this. Well, there's nothing really wrong with it, right? There's nothing wrong with fill in the blank. And so, We have these conversations and we take ourselves right up into the very edge. Well, there's nothing wrong with it. And this is what we say over and over again, especially when we're young and we're teenagers, we do this. We say to our parents, well, there's nothing wrong with it, right? And, you know, this is one of the things that we have to look at in in this phrase is it's not, it's a bad idea to assume that if something's not wrong, it's right. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a bad idea to assume it. If there's nothing wrong with it, then it's right for you. That's a bad idea to do that because you're basically filling in a gray area with a conclusion that it's the right thing to do. And, and, you know, you're going to have to, for some of you, you're going to have to go back a little bit, maybe to high school, you know, and, and looking at it, there's, and this is a phrase, kind of Bob the Builder phrase or Dora the Explorer door phrase, check, 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 there's good and they're bad and that's not our cue, but rather what is the wise thing to do? Let's say this one together. Ready? <laughs> now you can't sing it, but it's a good one to remember, especially our young people. Okay, you ready? There's good and there's, that's not our This is huge. See, this is not about good and bad. This is about what's the wise thing to do. See, because you can get around good and bad. You can play the good and bad, right and wrong game, right? We can always dance around that. But you know, think about, think about this. When, when you look at your life, you go back even for some of you to high school and you, and you think about Remember when you wanted to go on spring break and your parents, your mom said, you know, I don't know. I don't think it's a good idea for you to go on spring break or that, that extended sleepover. Remember that? And you asked your mom or your dad about it and they said, mm, I don't know. It just it's, it's a, seems like a bad idea. And what did you say? There's nothing wrong with a sleepover. There's nothing wrong with spring break. And, you, and your mom had to sit there and go, you know what? You're right. There's really nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's, there, there's something, you know, what, what, what that preacher say? He, you know, it's not the wise thing. It's not the wise thing to do. See, and this is the thing. And then, then you went on the spring break because you couldn't really, you, you won the argument. You went on spring break and when you got there, there were supposed to be two rooms. Remember how there were supposed to be two rooms and there was only one? And then you started to feel a little uncomfortable. You know, like, I thought there was going to be two rooms. No, there was never two rooms. There was only going to be one room. We told our parents that it was only going to be one room. Or, you know, you went to the slumber party and you thought it was just for girls only or just for guys only, and it was mixed company, right? And it wasn't a sleepover. It was a, it was a party. And, and then you didn't stay at the house that you were going to stay at. You went out and you lied and you said you were going to be at so-and-so's house there was nothing wrong with it, but then when you got there, it, you started to feel uncomfortable when you go, uh, and then you had to say it again. You know, well, I don't feel good about this, but you go ahead and do it. I don't feel good about this. And then it goes a little further. You started doing things, and then you, after everything was something said and done, you had tremendous regret, and you said, man, I regret that I did that. And all of us have regrets. 
And here's the interesting thing about our regrets. You were there when you made that decision, weren't you? Some of you weren't. You were unconscious. You were passed out and you regretted it. But most of you were there before it happened and you were there after it happened. You were there. You were right in the middle of it. And you you asked yourself, how did I get myself into this situation? And here's the answer. Bad moral decisions are generally preceded by a series of unwise decisions. But see, you were arguing the wrong point. You were saying, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with a sleepover, there's nothing wrong with a spring break trip with my friends, there's nothing wrong with the party, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with. But then you made all these decisions based on what there's nothing wrong with, and you got to the end of the road and you felt tremendous regret. What have I done? How could I do this to myself? How could I be in this predicament? And you know, you, you ask yourself, how, how did I get there? Well, let me show you, okay, how, how this plays out. There's nothing wrong with lunch. We're just going, her and I, we work together. We're just going, we're just going to lunch. There's nothing wrong with lunch, her and I. I'm married, she's, she's not married, but there's nothing wrong with going to lunch. We all go to lunch, right? We're just eating, you gotta eat, right? There's nothing wrong with lunch. There's nothing wrong with dinner. You know, even it's late night after work, just her and I, him, or her, or him, and, him and I, you know, you go both ways. There's nothing wrong with dinner. We were gonna go seven of us from work and it ended up just being her and I. Nothing wrong with dinner. Are you telling me there's something wrong with dinner? Okay, then be quiet. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with working late together, is there? Nothing wrong with that. All, our whole team at work, we work together. There's nothing wrong with working together late. There's nothing wrong with confiding in her, in him. I know I'm married, I know she's married, you know, and, and, and we're confiding in, I, you know, I, I just feel like I gotta, have to, I gotta talk to somebody. It saves me money because then I don't have to pay for therapy. You see? And so I, I really think it's of God because it's, it gives me somebody to talk to that's objective, right? So I confide and, and, and she listens to me. Speaking of listening, there's nothing wrong with listening. There's nothing wrong with listening, right? I'm a shoulder to cry on. She needs me. He needs me. Right? There's, there's nothing wrong with listening. Okay? That's, you got you to listen. So, right, I think I'm more like Jesus when I'm there to listen. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with dropping by her place or his place. You know, when I was a kid, when we were growing up, we used to drop by all the time. My dad would say it. We'd get in the car together and we'd go, hey, let's go drop by this family's house. And so we did it when I was growing up. What's wrong with dropping by? She's sick. She didn't come to work, so I'm just going to drop by and encourage her or encourage him. I'm just dropping by. Nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with a hug. Come on. A hug. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a hug. Are you telling me there's something wrong with a hug? Nothing wrong with a hug. Now, your favorite TV program, all right, you're watching this scenario play out, right? You know, the him and her, and you, you're watching the TV program, and they got the music, she go to lunch and dinner, and they're working late, and they're confiding, and they're listening, and, and you're watching this whole thing unravel, and then it gets, she, he drops by her place, and, or she drops by, and, and it's getting toward the music's all ramped up, it's really tense, intimate, you know, and they got this tense music, and you're like, oh, I know what's going to happen, I know what's going to happen, and then, and then, you know, then, then she or he is about to hug, and you, you yell at the TV, you said, don't do it, right? Don't hug him, don't go with him, he's a jerk. If you don't like him, you know, and you like her, and if you don't like her and you like him, you say, don't, don't hug her, don't go with her because she's worse than a jerk. So then they always do this at the end of the program. They, 
they end it right there. They're at the doorstep and you end it and you're frustrated. Two reasons you're frustrated. Frustrated because he's going with her and you don't like her or she's going with him and you don't like him. And then you got to wait a week to figure out what's going to happen. <laughs> Hate that. But you, you could see when you're watching this on a TV program, right? You can see how this plays out. Isn't that right? Now, let's make it a little more personal. This is a friend of yours. This, this little thing right here, this is a personal friend of yours. And you see what's going on. And you're like, man, I don't know. I don't feel good about this. And so you decide to broach the subject. You, you go to her, you go to him, and you go, what? I, I just don't feel good. And, they, and then they come back and they say, whoa, 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 whoa. Back up a little bit, Miss Judgmental. Mr. Judgmental, back up. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it, but you know. And so you get caught. You go, yeah, I know, there's nothing wrong with it, but, you know, it goes back to that thing we were talking about at church, and, yeah, it's not the wise thing to do. It's not the wise thing to do. And you could see it. Now, let's get even more personal. This isn't a friend. This isn't a TV program. This is you. This is you. It always gets quiet at that point in the lesson. This is you. And it's, it's interesting that we play this game with ourselves. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong. And you just lie to yourself. You lie to yourself. Bad moral decisions are generally preceded by a series, a bunch of them. Unwise, 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 and then bam, regret, tremendous regret. And you feel really bad about it. You know, living on the edge, living on the edge, it's okay if you're on a diet and you got a certain number of calories that you can eat in a day. You know, my feeling is if you've only got a certain number of calories, you should eat all of them in one day. <laughs> Take it right up to the edge. If it's 2,500, eat 2,510. Eat it. Or, you know, if you've got a curfew, if you've got a curfew and you've got to be home at 12, I don't know what your curfew is, but don't get home at 11.30. Get home at 12. If you've got to be at work at 8.30, don't get there at 7.30. Get there at 8.30. They're not paying you to get there at that time, are they? But the truth of the matter is, it's okay to live on the edge when it comes to your curfew because really, if you're five minutes late for your curfew, no big deal, right? You can talk with your parents and, oh yeah, I got a flat tire and, you know, I had a problem and yeah, it's no big deal, right? Or you eat five, 10, 50 calories over your, your limit. It's no big deal, right? It's not life-threatening. You're late to work, you know, whatever. It's no big deal. If it happens once, no big deal. Let me say this, living on the edge morally, morally is a big deal. See, because the stakes are much higher. And if there's a God who loves you, what do you think he would say about that whole sexual situation? boy and a girl, man and a woman. What, what, what would he say? What would, be, what, would he ex, what would you expect him to say? Go for it? Would God say, hey, ride the edge, just ride the edge? Would he say that? What would he say? He would say what any caring parent would say. Be very careful. In fact, back away from the edge. There's too much at stake in this area. That's what you'd expect a loving God who cares about you to say right? And so in this, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And he writes this letter to give a very worldly, and, and let me just say up front, what we're going to do is we're going to apply the question, what is the wise thing to do in the area of our sexuality? And I don't care if you're single or if you're married or if you're in between, you're divorcee, doesn't matter. It affects all of us. And just like Corinth, Corinth was a sexual, sin-filled, sensual, promiscuous city. It was very out in front, right in your face, sexuality. 
like it is today here in Southern California. And so Paul wrote this letter for the Christians now that they have this new life. He gave them some advice about what to do when you're faced with temptation. Here's what he said. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, he said, flee from sexual immorality. Flee, what does flee mean? Flee is a Greek word that means get the heck out of there. It means run, forest, run. That's what it means. And so Paul tells them, listen, if you're in a situation, flee, run, get out of there. Why? Because this is much different. Get out of there before fill in the blank happens. You don't want to be in that situation. And the interesting thing is, what, and you say, well, that's kind of extreme. I'm more of an open person. Let me ask you this. What, what does every husband want his wife to do when she's in a, a situation of temptation? What do you want her to do? Uh, yeah, she flee. What do you want your husband to do when that, you know, that secretary comes along and you know what she's all about, you know how she, you know, you know moves around in her, her way. What, what do you want your husband to do? Get the heck out of there. Get away from her. Flee from that. What does any parent want? If you're in a significant relationship, what do you want your boyfriend or girlfriend to do? Flee, right? If you're a parent, what do you want your children to do? Flee. If you're a 17-year-old boy, what do you want your 13-year-old sister to do? Flee. But we're such hypocrites because we would want for someone we love to flee, but then when it comes to us, we go, oh, I don't have to flee. I can, I can, I can go right up to the edge with this. I can take this to the edge. And then, then after this, Paul says something that's really, really profound right after this verse. It's taken, it's taken psychiatrists and counselors and, and mental health professionals 16 to, to 1,500 years. I'd say it's more, but I'm being conservative. It's taken them 16 to 1,500 years to figure this one out. And that's this. this look, look at what it says here in this verse. All other sins a person commits outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Basically what Paul is saying here is, and this is what therapists have found out, sexual, whatever it is, getting yourself in trouble sexually, it's in a category all by itself. It's very different from other sins or other behavioral violations if you don't like the word sin. Let's just say something that's wrong. A man shouldn't do that with a woman and, 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 and all that. A woman with a man. Whatever you consider that line. When it's sexual, it's in a whole other category. It affects people differently. And let me just share you this. When you're in my line of work and you're working with people, counselors, therapists, and people have really, really deep regret, deep pain and guilt and their emotional state is complex 90% of the time it's sexual it ties into that it really messed them up see because sexual sin is very different than other kinds of sin it, it it's like it affects us, but here's how the world thinks. The world says this, sex is physical. It's physical, physical, physical. It's like a handshake, it's like a hug, no big deal. You know this. I never even read the Bible seriously in my life and I knew it wasn't physical. I knew it because it scarred me. It, it, it affected me deeply. When you cross that line sexually, it affects you. It leaves a deep, you know, it's like a lot of other stuff you can move on from, but when it's sexual sin, it's like, mm, it lingers. It, it just sticks around and it messes with you. And that's why Paul is saying what he's saying. He's saying, flee from it, get away from it, because it's going to affect you. 
And this whole idea that sex is physical, it's not. And so you ask yourself, what's at stake? What's at stake? Is it a question of forgiveness? No, it's not a question of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not at stake because God will forgive us. And there's this really, really intense story in John chapter 8 about a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus looks at her and says, I'm not going to condemn you. In fact, I'm going to forgive you. But what does he say to her right after that? Don't do this again. Don't do it anymore. Don't do this. Don't, don't practice this lifestyle. Get away from it. End it. Stop it. It's not a question of forgiveness. It's not at stake. But this is at stake. What's at stake is consequence. See, sexual sin affects your heart. It affects your conscience. It affects your view of men and women. If you're a man, it affects how you look at women. You will never look at them the same way anymore. If you're a woman, you don't see men. You don't treat men the same way anymore. It messes with you. And it, it's almost as if it messes with your soul. And it leaves regret. A deep sense of regret. So you want to stay away from the consequences of this. And you've got to wake up. We've got to wake up and say, it is not the way the world portrays it. It's not like that. It is not anything like that. Next slide. Somebody can help me. It's uh, acting up again. If you can put it on play and click the next slide. Keep going. Keep going. I apologize. Keep going. Next slide. You're going to need to advance it, Ronnie. All right. Sorry. Next slide. It's having trouble here for some reason. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. One more. All right. Then Paul takes us from where we were. Sorry for that. He takes us from where we were, and he elevates our eyes. You guys got to stop focusing on right and wrong. You got to focus on this. And he says this. He says, therefore, verse 20, therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, it's not about wrong and right anymore. You got to elevate. You got to look at your body as something precious. It's a gift. And you want to honor God with your body. Next slide. And so the question really is not, you know, what's the, what's, what's the right, wrong thing to do, but how can I honor God with my body? And to think about that. If you're single, you know, what, what, are, you, what are you doing in, the, in regard? And, and let me tell you about this because, see, I had a past when I came into the church. It was a very promiscuous past. It was a very moral past. I looked at women as objects. And so I had to change the way I thought. I had, to, I had to almost like hit the reset button. And so when I thought about dating, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like everybody else. I had to think about dating differently. I had to think about a date as a, a, a night with a friend where we're just going out and talk versus how can I work this situation? I had to change everything. So what I did when I started dating sooner after I got baptized, I went on what if, uh, it's a strange thing. I know we're not able to know about it. It's called a double date. <laughs> See, I was single and I wanted, I want, and, said, and, and I would go with my roommates, you know, in college and I would, I, I would tell them, so are you going on a date? I said, yeah, I'm going on a date. Oh, Mr. Christian's going on a date. And said, you know, where are you going? Well, I'm going with this other couple. Why are you going with another couple? Well, we're going on a double date. Why are you going on a double date? You need a chaperone? I said, yeah, I do. And the reason why I need a chaperone is because I don't want to be the same way that I was before. And I don't trust myself. You see, inside this Mr. Christian is a wolf. And I would take advantage of women. And I don't want to do that anymore. It, isn't that what you do? I would confront them. Isn't that what you do? See, I don't want to do that anymore. 
I, I want things to be different. Next, next slide. See, now this is the thing that happens in our culture. Our culture baits us into the edge of moral disaster. Baits us into the edge of moral disaster. Pulls us in. And then when we cross, and then when we cross that line, it chastises us for stepping over the line. Like, for example, did, did you hear what she did? She, she, got, she got pregnant. It's bad, man. She, she's, she's a slut. What? She's a what? Yeah, she's a slut. You're kidding. No, she was just doing everything that every magazine, every TV program, every commercial, every, every, every style and fashion magazine was saying for her to do. She just did that. And now... Now that she crossed the line and got in trouble, she's a slut. Oh, did you, did, did you hear about him? He's got a drug problem. He's an alcoholic. He's a druggie. No, don't you understand? He was just doing what everybody was doing on the commercials, on the, on the, on the, on the rap music. He was just doing that. And look what it led to. He was just, he was just messing with that. And now we chastise them. Yeah, but you're not supposed to do it. You're not actually supposed to go out there and do it. It's just a song. Or it's just a commercial. It's just a movie. It's, just a, it's a TV program. You don't actually go out and do it. What did you think was going to happen? We live in a society. What do you think is going to happen when people sexualize everything? I mean, car parts. You're going to sell car parts with sex? Come on. Yeah, that's what they do. And then when somebody crosses the line, and see what the world does is it, it invites us to come right up to the edge, right up to the edge, right up to the edge. And then what happens when we fall? They chastise us. You've got to figure this out. And you've got to see You've got to back away. What would God want for us if he's trying to save us from that? Let's go to the next slide. And that's why you've got to ask this question over and over again. In light of my past experiences, see, when, when, I, when I started dating in the church, I was five years single in the church. And I, I went from, you know, having a lot of you know, promiscuity and, and sin, sexual sin to zero, to nothing. I had to take into light my past experience and say, you know, I got to back way off. I got to be careful with late night conversations in the parking lot alone. I, I can't go on dates by myself with other, well, I can handle it. Oh, really? You can handle it. Uh, don't you remember your past? Don't you remember how what you were involved in, you can handle it now? You're, you're, well, there's nothing wrong with a late-night conversation in the parking lot when nobody's there. There's nothing wrong sitting in the car alone. See, I couldn't do that because of my past experiences. And then my current circumstances. I'm trying to make a change. I'm trying to be different. I'm not trying to be the same guy, the predator that I was before. I'm trying to be a man of honor. I'm trying to be God's son. I want to honor him. I want to honor women. I want to treat women as people, as children, daughters of God. That's what I wanted to do. So I had to think about my current circumstances, then my future hopes and dreams. Wow. I wanted to have a good marriage. I wanted to have a rock-solid relationship, and any time, let me say this, any time you sexualize a relationship, boom, it gets confusing and messed up. you got to be ready for that. And only in the marriage is it the right place. What is the wise thing to do? Next slide. But, but here's the thing, you know, and I say this, how can I honor God with your body? All these things that I'm telling you about, double dating and, 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 and maintaining a friendship, keeping a distance, a safe distance from, you know, how you interact with people, all this stuff, you guys are like, yeah, but that's so archaic. And nobody does that. 
everybody else, but everybody else is, you fill in the blank. It's what everybody else is doing. You're expecting me to do what everybody else is not doing. What are you expecting me to do? And this is the argument that I get when I encourage people to do the right thing, to have hard standards for their dating relationship or in any relationship that could potentially end up in a compromising situation. Particularly single people. See, I was single five years in the church, and I went, you know, from having no, you know, relationships, I mean, from having a lot of them to having none of them. And people go, well, you know, if, if, I, don't, if I don't have a, a sexual relationship, I'm going to die. <laughs> We're adults here, right? This is the way people think. Well, I'm going to die. You're not going to die. You won't die. I didn't die. I'm, I'm, I'm here, right? Five years. Five years, nothing, nothing for five years until I got married. And I needed that reset. I needed that do-over. I needed that, that time off, that time away to, to, to get my head straight, my soul straight. But you say, and this isn't an argument. This, is a, this isn't a point. In fact, you're making a point. Next, next step. Here's, here's the real question you have to ask. But nobody else, nobody else is doing it, and nobody else is, and I want to be like everybody else. So let's say this last one together. But nobody else is, and I want to be like everybody else. Why, why didn't you say it? You don't want to be like everybody else, do you? You don't want a marriage like everybody else. Do you? You don't want a second marriage like everybody else, do you? You don't want regret like everybody else, do you? You don't want pain and hurt and guilt like everybody else. You don't want a dating relationship like everybody else because you know what that's about. I did not want what everybody else So I'm going to ask you, next slide, do you want to be like everybody else? Is that why you're here in church today? Some of you got dragged here. I'll just go ahead and say it. Do you want to be like everybody else? Do you want a marriage like everybody else out there? And if the answer is no, then what are you going to do about it? What, what lifestyle are you going to lead in order to change things? And this is, this is huge. And so I want to invite you to, to a pathway of asking the question, but decisions that you make that will lead you to the answer to this question. If you do not want to be like everybody else, then obviously you've got to make some changes in how you do business, how you live your life. Next, next slide. We talked about this a few weeks, and this is for our members, but I invite you, if you're here as a guest, if you don't want to be like everybody else, if you truly want to follow Jesus, if you want to live differently, if you want to have great relationships, honor your body, have a great future. Because this isn't, we we talked about sexual relationships this morning, but this affects all areas of your life. Finances affects everything, family, everything. If you know somebody who has a physical health problem, don't be scared. They're just ready to pass out the physical or the spirit. Not, don't pass it out just yet. Don't pass it out just yet. If you know somebody with a health problem and they go to the doctor, what's the doctor going to say? And they got a heart problem. You got to make some changes, my friend. You got to stop eating the things that you're eating. You're probably going to need to get some sleep because you're not sleeping right, you're probably going to need to exercise. In fact, you're going to have to change maybe some of your stress levels because you're involved in a very stressful lifestyle and you're going to have to bring that down a couple notches. Isn't that right? They would recommend a life change. If you are spiritually not in a good place, which here's what I'm going to go ahead and say it with some of our members of our church. I believe some of you are in not good health spiritually. 
You're not in good health. Don't get offended. We'll see. Okay? And I tell you a story about uh, Joshua Lickfeld. Joshua Lickfeld, a number of years ago, he was surviving. His heart was very weak. It was irregular. Uh, help me, how, how old was when you, when you diagnosed him, Rebecca? Three months. Three months. They had to basically, they diagnosed his heart. He had an irregular heartbeat. It was a weak heart. They had to do open heart surgery and fix his heart. What if they had not done the evaluation? And what the doctor said was, Joshua is surviving. He's not thriving. And so they went and did the surgery, and guess what? Joshua today is thriving. What's your goal in your spiritual walk? You want to survive, or do you want to thrive? I, I would like to thrive. Some of you are on the borderline of surviving, and I, I'm looking at you, and I'm, 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 I'm letting you know that's not God's plan for your life. This, the goal of this thing is not to survive. I want to get by. I want to do as little as possible and make it to heaven. Yeah, you want to ride it right up to the edge. You want to be just like everybody else in the world and fit in with your neighbors, fit in with your friends, and be just like everybody else as much as you can and still have one foot in the kingdom of God. So the umpire's going to get there and you're going to slide into home plate and safe. Let me tell you how it plays out. For the majority of the people that are in that situation, they don't make it. They don't make it, and if they do make it, there's a lot of scars. So what we're going to do for all of our members, don't be afraid, we're going to do a spiritual fitness test. You can go ahead and pass it out. We're going to do a spiritual fitness test over the whole summer. We're going to take a you know, good chunk of time. We're going to go through this. This is, this is something I, I want you to get, let your guard down. This is for you. This is to help you. If you don't want to do it, you can just leave it on the, on the pew today, and you don't have to do it. But that says something about you if you do. You're saying something, okay? You're saying you're not interested in growing and thriving. Why wouldn't you want to thrive if God and Jesus gave everything so you can? So next slide. We're going to go, go through this. We're going to look at different categories. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. This is for you to take home and read. Please carefully pray over this, go over this. If you're... If you're a guest here today, I, I, if you want to take one home and do one, have at it. We'll, we'll talk with you, go through it with you, we'll help you. And, and basically, I did this. I sat down with the elders uh, uh, about a week and a half ago. We sat down, we went through this, and I told them, here are the things that I want to work on. And here's the areas, devotion to the word, devotion to prayer, devotion to the body, devotion to the relationships. These are the four areas. And I told them one of the ones down here in the last area in the relationships with people outside of the church, I want to work on that. It's an area in my life that I want to get better at. We went through this as a staff, all of our ministers, we went through this together and, 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 and we went through it and we, we all decided together we want to be better. Amen. Right? Amen. Do you want to be better? Or do you want to be like everybody else? I think it's time you go ahead and say it. And, and deal with it. So take this home, go over it, and in your small group, the person that you're in a relationship with, maybe it's your small group leader, the, 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 the close friend that you have, but somebody who's going to help you and call you higher, you want to go over this with them. Okay? Next slide. Here, and this is important. Let's watch, let's look at this verse. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Here is what Peter is saying about our lives. In the area of sexuality, in the area of morality, in the area of how we live our lives, he says, dear friends, you are outsiders and strangers. He's talking to followers of Jesus. You are outsiders and strangers in this world, so I'm asking you not to give in to your sinful longings. They fight against your soul. People who don't believe might say you're doing wrong. Ever had that happen? My, my, my fellow roommates and guys that were in my dorm in college, they said, you're an idiot. You're weird. 
You're going on a double date? You're bringing her home at what time? I mean, you guys are weird in your church. And I said, that's right. I'm weird. But I don't want to be normal like you. If that's what weird is, go ahead. Put it right there on my shirt. Weird. Look what happens, though. This is what happened with my friends in college. But, but lead good lives among them. Then they will see your good life, your good works, and they will give glory to God on the day he comes to judge. See, here's the problem. What was Israel's problem throughout the Old Testament? What was God's warning to them? Don't be like everybody else around you. Yes, you're going to have to fit in, but don't be like them. Don't live like them. Guess what's our problem today? Some of you want to fit in so bad, it's going to cost you. And nor are you going to help them out of their predicament, which they desperately need because people around you are falling like flies. They're getting divorces. Their families are coming apart. You hear the screaming at night. The windows are open in the summertime, and you hear it. And then you hear the sad story. Oh, yeah, so-and-so is getting a divorce. <gasps> That's so sad. Yeah, it is. When we could be a light in our communities. You know the reason why I became a Christian? Right here. See, I made fun of my sister for a couple of years. I said, she's fanatical. It's over the top. She goes to church all the time. They would go to church three times a day on Sunday back in those days. For some of us, once a day is too much. Come on. But I would look at their lives. Then they would go to church on Wednesday. Then they'd have Devo on Friday. And they had all kinds of stuff going on. I said, man, that's too much. Too much church. And the way they dressed, you know, they're all conservative, no skin. You know, that's how I would look at it. I said, you guys are weird. But after a period of time, I go, you know what? I'm tired. I'm tired of the world that I'm living in, and I'm tired of the sin and the effect that it's having on my heart and my conscience and my life. I don't want to be this way anymore. And I told my sister, I said, I want what you got. Will you study the Bible with me? Will, will you help me so I can get right with God and live the life and have a marriage like you have and have a family like you have? And in one week, I studied the Bible. And in 10 days, I got baptized. I said, I got to do this. And, and it was all because of this. All because of this. She... And my brother-in-law were living the life. And it, it made me praise God. I said, I thank you, God, that I got out of life, all the garbage. I would be just like everybody else. I want you guys to know that. I would be divorced at least once, maybe twice at this point in my life. I promise you, I saw it coming. I could not keep my relationships before I was a Christian. Couldn't stay in them. And maybe some of you can do it, but you're going to have a rough time. And sooner or later, it's going to affect you. And the worst thing of it all is you're not a light to the people around you because you're so, so much like them. You might as well be there. Next slide, and we'll finish here. Take you back to the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, verse 19. Don't you know, and this is the whole thing where Paul pulls it all together about our sexuality, about our lives. Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking to Christians here. Who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. In other words, honor God with your life. You and I have been called to be set apart. Set apart means elevated not better than not holier than thou better relationships closer relationships less regret less drama less lot of stuff 
That's what God's called us to. And it came at a price, and now we're going to take the communion. But I want you to understand, you were bought this change to be able to live at this level, this spiritual fitness test, to be able to live at this level, came at a price. Why, why wouldn't you want to do it? If it cost Jesus everything, why wouldn't you want to be the best follower of Jesus? You get two benefits. You get to live the life have, a great, have great relationships, great relationship with God, great relationships with other people. And you get to please God in the meantime. I mean, but right now we're going to take the communion, and I really want to encourage you to, to reflect on the price. My position is this. God, whatever you need me to change. I want to be the best. And I've been at this for 29 years. I'm not done yet. I'm not done changing. I'm not done growing. I'm not done honoring, honoring God with my body and my life. I'm not done yet. So whatever it implies for you, take this home. Be honest with yourself. And let's take it higher. Amen? Let's pray for the communion. Pray with me. Our Father God in heaven, we thank you for this message. It makes us uncomfortable, a lot of us. I pray, God, that you'll help us to embrace wanting to be our best. Thank you that Jesus gave it all so that we could be our best. God, I know some of us are half-stepping our Christianity, and I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't half-step our salvation. He gave it all. Help us to give it all in return. And, and, and help us, God, to be a light to our surroundings. God, so many people are out there. They're hurting. They have no direction. And we have the answers. Help us to be a light to them. And if somebody here, God, if one of us is in sin and we got stuff going on in our life and we need to talk about it, I pray that today we'll find somebody and we'll talk about it. Whatever it is, we'll get it out in the open and start changing and start growing. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have this morning through the communion, through the blood of Jesus. Please wash away our sins and help us, God, to live the lives that Jesus intended when he died on the cross. Bless this communion, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.